Have you ever been in a situation when you didn't know what to do? I'm reminded of a situation where I really had no clue what to do. I was a newlywed and it was our first Thanksgiving dinner and I was single-handedly attempting to reproduce what I had seen my mom produce in a wonderful feast so many years prior. Only I had no clue. And amongst the many faux pas, the one that I remember most distinctly was grabbing my turkey from the freezer, no less, putting all of the seasonings on top and thrusting it into the oven with no idea that, yeah, you probably want to defrost it before you begin that process. I'm sure you've had some scenarios where you didn't know what to do either. And today, I want to introduce you to a man who didn't know what to do, but his scenario was maybe a little bit more serious than mine. He's someone that I would even love to meet one day. He's someone who you probably have come across in your studies in the Word of God. He's the son of Asa. His name is Jehoshaphat, and he was the sixth king in the line of David. Now, Ezra, our teacher, introduces him to us in this way. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father, David. He did not seek the balls, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commands. So the Lord established the king in his kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute, and he had riches and honor in abundance. His mind rejoiced in the Lord's ways. 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. If you've ever been in a tight spot, if you've ever been in a place where you didn't know what to do, if you've ever felt like you were facing an enemy who is bigger than you and can destroy you and all you hold dear, Jehoshaphat will be your hero. Because Jehoshaphat faced all of that and humbly confessed, I don't know what to do in front of God and everybody. And yet, he did exactly the right thing eight times in a row. Stay tuned to discover what they were. Alicia, welcome to Excel Church. Today we will look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Open a Bible, open up your notes, and pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Amen. Now, while you're getting your Bible and your notes together, let me tell you that Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. 
and he reigned over Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, for 25 years. Jehoshaphat's story spans two wars and a bad marriage. I'll tell you about the bad marriage next week. It almost wrecked the kingdom, and it almost scuttled God's plans to send a Messiah through the line of David. So don't miss next week. Somebody say, don't miss next week. The story begins with 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 2. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, together with some of the Meonites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom has come to fight against you. They are already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gadi. Now, I'm going to show you a map so that you can kind of get a picture of what we're talking about today. The Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites all lived on the east side of the Dead Sea. Their nations had been conquered under King David and now were rebelling. So how do you think you would feel if you got word that a huge army, much bigger than your own, was coming to get you? What would you do? Well, look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Full What would you do? What would you do? What would you do? Well, let's take a look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah, who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. So first, Jehoshaphat did three strategic things in this dark moment. Somebody say three strategic things. He resolved to seek the Lord. He called for a fast. He gathered the people. Somebody type that. Last week we learned God's promise to Asa that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. At the first sign of danger, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord because he sought the Lord in all things. His heart was fully devoted to the Lord. So let's reflect on that for just a moment. How's your heart these days? Who or what is it devoted to? To deepen his commitment, he called a fast. When you fast, you're constantly thinking about food, which means you're constantly reminded that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jehoshaphat gathers the people together because there is strength in numbers. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And we know that wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there he is in our midst. 
And Jehoshaphat does a fourth strategic thing. Somebody say, he prayed. Look at verses 5 through 12 with me. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard. He said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in the land and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name and have said, if disaster comes on us, sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this temple and before you for your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you because of our distress and you will hear and deliver. Verse 10. Now here are the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir. You did not let Israel invade them when Israel came out of the land of Egypt. But Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them. Look how they repay us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. Somebody say, we look to you. Jehoshaphat reminds God of who he is and what he's done for them in the past. You rule with power, and you've been there for all the descendants of Abraham, he says. Jehoshaphat affirms their commitment to the Lord. We built your sanctuary. We've worshipped you there. And now we're crying out to you from there. Then he presents the problem. We're being invaded by people we once had mercy on. And he calls on God for justice. Will you not judge? He's reminding God that his reputation is on the line. The climax of Jehoshaphat's prayer is a prayer I've prayed a hundred times. He says, we do not know what to do, but we look to you. That prayer works on every occasion. Practice it with me. Repeat it out loud. Type it right now. We do not know what to do. But we look to you. Somebody say that. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. And how does God answer? Look at verse 13. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their dependents, their wives, and their children. In the middle of the congregation, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benahiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite from the Asaph's descendants. And he said, Listen carefully, all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Somebody say the battle is the Lord's. How many times have you faced something terrible and felt like you were all alone in it? Friend, 
if you are committed to the Lord this morning, if you are wholeheartedly devoted to him, if you have said, Lord, live your life through me, and I will live for you the rest of my life, then the eyes of the Lord are on you to strengthen you. The battle you are facing is not yours, but God's. So look up and say these words. The battle is yours, Lord. Somebody say that with me. This battle is yours, Lord. Jehaziel continues, tomorrow go down against them. You will see them coming up the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeruel. And listen to this, friends. Look at verse 17. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out to face them. For the Lord is with you. Oh, I hope that's ministering to you right now. You've got to remember the Lord is with you. You don't have to hide behind those phone calls. You don't have to hide before those telemarketers. You don't have to hide from the people who are coming against you. The word of the Lord this morning is stand strong and know that the Lord is with you. Isn't that a good reminder this morning? Verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his faith to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel shouting loudly. Hmm. So a fifth thing Jehoshaphat did is he led the people in worship. Somebody say worship him. They stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel loudly. Well, what do you suppose happened the next day? What do you think happened? How many Israelites do you think died in the battle? Let's find out. Look at verse 20. In the morning, they got up early and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. Tekoa is about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. It's a fairly easy hike since it's all downhill. Just before they started the hike, the text says, as they were about to go out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. Now, I'm intrigued by this next part. Look at verse 21. Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. When they went out in front of the armed forces, guess what? They kept singing. Give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about the power of singing, but meditate on this for a minute. They all sang, and the Lord heard them, and here's what happened. Verse 22. The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir, who came to fight against Judah. 
and they were defeated. Somebody say they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and completely annihilated them. When they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. Now, apparently there is hidden power in singing. There's power in praise. Something happens when we use our voices to make a melody to God. You might consider that the next time you're in trouble or maybe the next time we're doing praise and worship right before the message begins. So there's a sixth strategic thing Jehoshaphat did as well. He appointed people to sing. Who would have thought that a major move to defeat an enemy would involve music and voices. Woo, somebody make a joyful noise right now. Now bear in mind, Jehoshaphat and all the people don't know what's happened on the battlefield. They haven't arrived yet. They're just marching along singing. Verse 24 says, When Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked for the large army. But there was only corpses lying on the ground. Nobody had escaped. <laughs> let's get this right. Here's the story. Okay? And this is a true story. So let's, let's kind of recap this. Once upon a time, there was a big bad army coming against the people of God. The people did not know what to do, but they resolved to seek the Lord. They gathered together. They fasted. They prayed, they heard a word from God, from one of his spokesmen, and they worshipped. They began to sing, and God performed a miracle. He ambushed their enemies, and the people lived happily ever after. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 25. Then Jehoshaphat and his people went to gather the plunder. They found among them an abundance of goods on the bodies and valuable items. So they stripped them until nobody could carry any more. They were gathering the plunder for three days because there was so much. They assembled in the valley of Berakah and on the fourth day, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore that place is still called the valley of Berakah today. Now Berakah means blessing. The place became the valley of blessing. Hmm. Jehoshaphat's seventh strategic move was he blessed the Lord. And the rest, as they say, is history. Let's read about it. Look at verse 27. Then all the men of Judah and Jerusalem turned back with Jehoshaphat, their leader, returning joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. So they came into Jerusalem to the Lord's temple with harps, lyres, and trumpets. The terror of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then Jehoshaphat's kingdom was quiet, for his God gave him rest on every side. This is the revival under King Jehoshaphat. A terrible disaster looks like it's going to ruin the nation. Sound familiar? Nobody knows what to do, but one man, the king, stands up and says, I'm going to seek the Lord. 
He asked the nation to join him in fasting and gathering together to pray and ask God to deliver them. God answers them through Jehaziel. I've got this, he says. The battle is mine. I invite you to come and watch. The people believe. They bow down to thank God in faith for what he's going to do. And they rise up and praise him with singing. Early the next morning, they sing their way to the battlefield. Where instead of having to engage the army, they find out the enemy has engaged themselves. That's the kind of God we serve. So the people help themselves to the spoils. They return home and hold another worship service. And then they enjoy the eighth and final strategic move, which is they rested. They enjoyed the peace God gave them. And they found rest. Ezra, who chronicles this story for us, is teaching us about how to rescue a nation. He's showing us certain lessons. What are some lessons that you are taking from Jehoshaphat's revival? Hopefully you see that God is available and attentive in your darkest moments. God is there. God is aware. Ezra is showing us that prayer is more powerful than any enemy. Even when we don't know what to pray for. Jehoshaphat's prayer is one of the simplest yet most profound prayers in all of the scripture. He just says, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. Hmm. The humility in that. I don't know what to do, God, but I'm looking to you. Paul in the New Testament says, in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Whew. When you're in a dark moment, you don't have to have the solution to your problem. You just have to remember who does. Do you know who does this morning? We do not know what to do but we look to you I encourage you to memorize that it will work for any occasion maybe I should have tried that on that Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> say it with me we do not know what to do father we look to you and this story Ezra is showing us that God is able to turn whatever comes against you against itself Woof! Y'all, I'm trying to stay calm, but that'll make you shout right there. He will turn your enemies against them. Selves. He can turn trials into triumphs. Failures into learning lessons. Enemies into friends. Or into providers for your every need. God is able. God can take anything that is coming against you and use it for you. Because He is for you. If God be for you, who can be against you? And Ezra is showing us that. God can turn evil into good. Remember Romans chapter 8 verse 28? In Romans 8, right after telling us that the Spirit prays for us, when we don't know how to pray for ourselves, Paul then says, and we know that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Come on, y'all. We've got to stand on the Word of God. 
Remember the promises. Jehoshaphat's enemies thought they were coming to steal, kill, and destroy. They didn't know they were actually coming to turn over their personal possessions to the Israelites. Today we are facing enemies. And we're facing an enemy globally that's too small to see but too big to ignore. The coronavirus is a real enemy with real consequences. So we're worried about losing our health or losing our loved ones. We're worried about our jobs and our finances. We're worried about equality. We're worried about politics. There are so many things that each and every one of us have to deal with. But guess what? Come to me, Jesus says. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, Father in heaven, you preserve this story about Jehoshaphat to remind us to turn to you in our darkest moments. The worldwide pandemic and its economic effects, they feel pretty dark to us. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you, God. Please turn this virus upon itself. Destroy it and direct us to the valley of blessings where we can pick up the plunder and give you praise. Whew, before I finish my prayer this morning, I know that all of us are facing this crisis together, but it's affecting each of us individually and in slightly different ways. So I want to give you a chance to pray your own prayer of deliverance for your situation right now. Pray these words after me. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I look to you. Look at me one more time before I conclude our time of prayer together. The Bible says, one with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. That friend is Jesus. He was the Son of God who came to earth to show us how much we matter to God by giving his life in our place. You and I have distanced ourselves from God by doing things we know are wrong. Jesus came to remove that distance between us and God by paying for our wrongs with his own life on the cross. Jesus wants to be with you and for you. He wants to be the friend who is closer than a brother. He wants to be your savior and your leader and your forgiver. And in this moment, you are only one prayer away from a relationship with him that will make all that he is available to you. For all of the rest of you, and on into eternity. What he asks is that you invite him into your life to be your Lord and your leader. So if you'd like to become Jesus' friend and follower, I want to lead you in a prayer that will make that so right now. Here's the prayer. Just pray it out loud or you can say it under your breath or you can type it if you like and Jesus will come into your life. Ready? Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. 
and I invite you to be mine. Come into my heart and live your life for me. And I will live for you the rest of my life. Now, if you've just prayed that prayer for the very first time, please drop in the comments that you gave your life to Christ. We just want to celebrate you. And if you'd like more information, text the number on the screen and we'll send you more information about beginning your new life with Christ. Well, we're so glad you decided to hear the word and don't forget to come back next week. It's going to be amazing. But hold on for the rest of the messages and announcements and the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing here at Excel.